Welcome. You are listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's better to hear it live, this is a place to catch the latest sermon, conversation, and select program. If you like what you're hearing or want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get a notification for our next episode. Enjoy and see you in shul. Shabbat Shalom. While my obligations to the Sabbath and synagogue prevented me from being personally present, I understand that some 500 people RSVP'd to the Horace Mann School's Jewish Family Alliance Shabbat dinner last night. I know because the event happened on the roof of our synagogue, that the Dalton School's Jews and Allied Affinity Group also had an oversubscribed pre-Shabbat gathering last night. I can tell you, because I will be presenting at the session, that on Monday morning, Jewish parents of the Collegiate School will be meeting, as did nearly 50 Jewish parents of the Brearley School the other night, as did the recently jump-started Jewish affinity group at Spence, as at Allen Stevenson, as at other schools. Gathering after gathering after gathering, not just the schools to which we send our children, but in every walk of life. The other day, I addressed a Zoom meeting for J.P. Morgan's anti-anti-Semitism affinity group. Hundreds of global employees with similar sessions for similar companies being scheduled. I know that the otherwise sleepy WhatsApp alumni group of UPenn's historically Jewish Sigma Delta Tau sorority has of late roared to life. I know because I am married to one such alumna, every bedside buzz of her phone, a reminder of the changed and charged world in which we live. In our schools, on our campuses, in our businesses, social clubs, and cultural associations, the Hamas terrorist attacks of October 7th have set in motion a tidal wave of response in our immediate Jewish community and the wider American Jewish community. Our focus, and I'm going to return to this point, is and must remain on what took place in Israel, the barbaric nature of the October 7th attacks, the human slaughter, the rape of Jewish women, both living and dead, the crimes against humanity that have been celebrated and glorified and uploaded to social media by the perpetrators. The fact that it was Israel who was attacked, the fact that Israel has the right and the obligation to defend its citizens and ensure that such attacks never happen again, the fact that over 220 men, women, babies, and seniors are presently being held hostage by their vicious captors, that is and must remain our focus, all the more so 
as Israel begins its ground response. Here in this synagogue, we have moral clarity. Here in this synagogue, we stand with Israel. Here in this synagogue, we have risen and continue to rise up to meet the urgent relief needs of the hour in our engagement, in our advocacy, in our tzedakah, our charitable giving. We may live here, but our hearts and our support are directed towards our brothers and sisters in the East. But something is happening here. And it's to that something that I wanna speak this morning. Why is it that we are gathering with the frequency and the intensity and in the numbers that we are? As a synagogue member commented to me in response to a packed sanctuary the other week, where did all these Jews come from? Some of the reasons are obvious. First and foremost, we are all traumatized. There is something deeply human about the outpouring of humanity that we are witnessing. When faced with loss, people want to be with people who can either sympathize or empathize with their grief. The Jewish people transformed into a global shiva house of mutual support and presence. But it goes beyond that. Traumatized as we are, I think we are coming together to show each other and to show the world that we are not paralyzed. Our donations, our acts of chesed, kindness, we all want to do our part and we all want to do it together. Then, of course, is the advocacy dimension. Our numbers show strength. We want to make sure that the institutions entrusted to educate our children and our grandchildren reflect our values. And if they don't, we want our objections to be made known together. We want to make sure that both the curriculum taught and the educators teaching it reflect the right of Jews to self-determination and self-defense. We want the administrations of our institutions to hold to the same standards when it comes to Jewish lives as any lives of any subset of humanity. We want to create, to use the vernacular of the day, safe spaces for Jews. Intellectually, of course, and increasingly and alarmingly, physically as well. As Jews, we are seeking both physical and spiritual sanctuary. Why are Jews coming together as they are? To hold each other close and to hold our institutions accountable in this time of crisis. And were that to be all, were it only for these reasons that we are coming together, it would be enough. But I think that there is something more going on, something beyond just a room in which to cry, a forum to hear our values affirmed, or a writing workshop to analyze the insensitively worded letter drafted by some DEI administrator. There is something behind the heightened engagement of the already engaged and the Jews who have hitherto been only peripherally connected to the Jewish identity and community and are now leaning into both. The horrific events of October 7th and the world's subsequent reaction, prompting both an inward reflection and a great awakening in American Jewish identity. 
sadly, I believe the impetus for much of what we are seeing is anti-Semitism. Either the recrudescence of the world's most ancient hatred or just a realization that anti-Semitism has always been present, but it cannot be ignored. Anti-Semitism is uniformly bad, but it's not uniform in expression. It takes on different forms. It was in 1903 that Solomon Schechter coined a distinction between what he called the lower anti-Semitism and the higher anti-Semitism. The lower anti-Semitism, Schechter wrote, was found in the bullies of his childhood Romania who bloodied his nose as he walked home from school or in its more acute forms, the trauma of the Kishnev pogroms that year. The higher anti-Semitism was different, an intellectual attack. Think the socialism of fools. In Schechter's day, a venomous form of anti-Jewish scholarship that denied Jews the sanctity of their religious texts and by extension, the integrity of their faith. And while there are different kinds of anti-Semitism, higher and lower and otherwise, not only are they all connected, but they lead one to the next. Decades after Schachter, we look back knowing that the Nazi pseudoscience of race theory was but a predecessor to the dehumanization and exclusion of Jews, all of which was a prelude to the extermination of a third of our people. Intellectual hatreds lead to violent ones. As Heine noted, those who burn books will in the end burn people. And while the analogy is not perfect, in our own day, there seems to be three easily identifiable anti-Semitisms. The first, what I will call the lower anti-Semitism, are the horrors that were perpetrated on October 7th. Murderous assaults against Jews living on the Gaza envelope. Or, if you will, as noted, today, on the fifth anniversary of the Pittsburgh Tree of Life shootings, the murder of 11 Jewish souls. Not a land dispute, not a textured debate, a he said, she said about one state or two states and who is to blame for an elusive peace. The lower into anti-Semitism is about murdering Jews, religious ones and non-religious ones, Zionist ones and non-Zionist ones, Jews for judicial reform and those against, Jews to be murdered because they are Jews. The middle anti-Semitism is a physical and verbal thuggery, a graffiti-scrawling, slur-making, social media-posting, fear-mongering, punch-throwing, Cooper Union-rioting sort of hatred that makes no distinction between Jews and Zionists. When I think of the middle anti-Semitism, I think of the IHRA definition of, of anti-Semitism, which reads, a certain perception of Jews, which may be expressed as hatred towards Jews, rhetorical and physical manifestations of anti-Semitism directed towards Jewish or non-Jewish individuals and or their property towards Jewish communities, institutions, and religious facilities. Tracked by places like the ADL, kept to low burn in law-abiding societies, 
we feel the uptick of this middle kind of anti-Semitism of late, the anti-Israel rhetoric aimed to intimidate all Jews, the verbal and physical confrontations taking place around our city, or the slurs directed at your rabbi when he went to the library the other day, yarmulke on, to write the sermon you're hearing. The third anti-Semitism in keeping with Schachter is what I'm gonna call the higher anti-Semitism. Unlike Schachter's time, the object here is not the Jews' claim to a sacred text, but the Jews' claim to a land and the Jewish right to self-defense and self-determination. Here, it is the need of leaders, intellectual, cultural, and political, as in the case of the UN chief this past week, to situate the atrocities of October 7th in the context of a conflict rather than just calling it out for the evil it was. Here is the impulse of our institutions to either remain silent in the face of October 7th, to issue mealy-mouthed statements on the complexities of the region, or kumbaya calls for ceasefire without even an acknowledgement that Jewish lives have been lost or remain in captivity. Here is a progressive's chant, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, without a whiff of self-awareness that such a vision would necessitate the death of Jews, not to mention every value that that progressive would claim to hold dear. Here are those who would post a sign or on social media the declaration, we are all Hamas, ignoring not just the atrocities of October 7th, not just the fact that the charter of Hamas calls for the murder of Jews, but also the reality that Hamas itself is a primary impediment to the Palestinian aspiration for self-determination. And while the threat and increased presence of the lower and the middle anti-Semitisms would be public enough to raise the alarm bells for Jews, it's a stinging acknowledgement of this third higher anti-Semitism that I believe has shaken American Jewry to its core and woken it up from its slumber. In the wake of all of the woke justifications, the moral equivalencies, the yeah buts and whataboutisms of these past weeks, an unnerving realization has set in for American Jewry, a sense that we are not perhaps as secure here in America as we thought we were. Not an attack in some West Bank settlement, not a horrific shooting by a lunatic fringe white nationalist or the bullying of a Hasid in Brooklyn or the disturbed rantings of a now traded point guard or washed out rapper. The realization of something less violent but more nefarious, that in the eyes of many, Jewish lives are worth less than other lives. Right here, in our own front yard, in the institutions of which we are part by our friends on Facebook, the boards upon which we sit and some of us fund, we connect the dots from an anti-Semitic conference on a campus to the upended tables of a Hillel house there, 
from the silence of a school administration in the face of Jewish loss of life to the bullying of a Jewish student in that school. The moral whiplash of living in a world in which Israeli Jews are murdered and kept in continued captivity is not only justified, but then the blame is laid at the feet of Jews. In this great awakening, the reality to which we have awakened is not a pleasant one. The curtain to our reality has been ripped away and all of us have been left to wonder where we as Jews fit in. And in our unease, anxiety, and panic, we turn to each other. In Kohat, as the connection to our Judaism may have been up to now, in crisis, we turn to our faith, to each other, and to our community for succor and strength. It was a late philosopher, Eugene Borowitz, who in his book entitled The Mask Jews Wear, called American Jews Muranos in reverse. Muranos, as some of you may know, were the Jews of 14th and 15th century Spain who converted to Catholicism due to persecution, but secretly maintained Jewish practices, a Christian exterior, but Jews in private. American Jews, on the other hand, have lived as Muranos in reverse, hitherto comfortable in our Jewish exterior, but removed from the wellsprings of our Jewish identity. And it was good while it lasted, but the world changed on October 7th, upending every prior assumptions we had about Jewish identity. For liberal Zionists who have worked so hard of late to clarify that their Jewish values are not represented by the Israeli government, they're now struggling with the defensive tribal posture foisted on them by our enemies. For those Zionists who have fought so long and so hard for a two-state solution, they are struggling with how to express outrage at October 7th, support for Israel's right to self-defense, and give voice to a principled and practical belief that Israel must ensure a viable path to Palestinian self-determination with the same ferocity as it prosecutes this war on Hamas. And for those who have existed these years with masks on Jewish identities worn lightly but not intensely, they are trying to square the circle of what it means to be viewed and treated differently than previously believed. For so long, we have let ourselves to believe that this differentiating marker of Jewish identity was not such a differentiator. We've been told by the world that Jews are privileged and powerful, but October 7th changed all that. The higher anti-Semites of the world have made it clear that contrary to what we thought, Jewish lives don't matter. Our faith and our community that we may have taken for granted is now more important than ever. It's not easy, and I wish it were not so. I wish the turn to Jewish identity and community had come by way of the ever-present tradition, the carrot and not the stick. We should always live our Jewish lives unmasked, proud, joyful, and connected. New and disorienting as this all is for us, it is not new for the Jewish people. It's a feeling of deja vu that goes back to any number of chapters of Jewish history. This is not the first time Jews have been made feel other 
and then blamed for that very condition. In truth, it goes back to our very beginning, to this week's Torah reading, Lech Lecha. Abraham, plucked from obscurity to found a people, is called to go forth, but he's also called to go inward by having faith in God, by being a blessing to humanity, and by connecting to the land. Abraham was called Ha'ivri, a word which comes from the Hebrew word ever, meaning other. Abraham, the rabbis teach, was willing to stand tall on one side while the rest of the world stood on the other side. He, not we, was the first to understand that the spiritual calling of our people demands that we be ready to take unpopular stands. In fact, the rabbis compare Abraham to a man on a journey who sees a palace ablaze in flames. And when the owner calls out, the man understands his duty to help extinguish the flames. Why was Abraham called on by God, the rabbis say? Because he was the one who saw God's palace, our world, up in flames, and he felt himself called to action. And as with our founding father, so too with us today. If our world is to judge us as the other, then let's journey inward and embrace that for which we stand and that which we are called on to defend. And if we are to stand tall in a world unhinged from morality, then let us stand together with our brothers and sisters here and in Israel. If we have, up until now, existed at the outskirts of the Jewish people, then let the gates of this community and every community swing open, giving entry and access to all those seeking entry, and know that you will be welcomed warmly. And if this is the moment that we seek to add our voice and helping hand to supporting our people, then know that in this urgent hour, every voice and every hand is needed. God's palace, our world, is on fire. This is an all-hands-on-deck moment, and none of us dare sit this round out. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah.